0: Hi everybody, welcome into a brand new episode of Locked On Nittany Lines, your Penn State podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today is Monday, August 3rd, 2020, and today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. My name is Kevin McGuire. I'm a contributor to AthlonSports.com and I do a lot of Penn State related content for AthlonSports.com. Make sure you check out everything we've got going on over there. But I am so excited to be with you here today because I'm back from vacation, took a little time off last week, and we have a lot of stuff to get into this week. In today's episode, I'm going to reflect on some of the latest scheduling news that's been rolling around the country and we're continuing to wait to see what the Big Ten going to do. But we are also going to begin our interview series with the one and only Tim Brando from Fox Sports, calling college football games, college basketball games for Fox Sports and Fox Sports 1. We're going to dive into some of his background, some of his history, and just hear about his journey from calling high school football games in Louisiana to becoming one of those voices that you hear every Saturday calling Penn State football games and other Big Ten games around the country. Lots of good stuff from Mr. Tim Brando. Before we get into all that, make sure you are subscribed on whatever podcast app you may be listening to. And feel free to leave a rating and a review. We genuinely appreciate the feedback, and it does help promote the show across those various podcasting networks. Again, whatever you're using to listen to podcasts, make sure you're including Locked On Nittany Lines moving forward. You can also stay socially connected with us and be a part of the show by sending in your questions and your comments at any time by following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on Twitch by using the username LockedOnNittany. So with all that out of the way, guys, let's go ahead and get today's episode started. So as we're beginning a brand new month, getting a little bit closer to the start of the college football season, we're still finding out all the details that are going to be unrolled as far as what each conference is going to be doing. Now We haven't had a chance to discuss some of the latest plans that some of the other conferences are doing as we continue to wait for the official details on what the big 10 is going to have to offer this upcoming season now in the last couple days we have seen that the sec and the pac-12 they are going with a strict 10 game conference only schedule this also following the news that the acc is going to a 10 game conference schedule plus one non-conference option for any of the members of the acc and of course the big development with the acc is They are including Notre Dame as a full conference member as far as the schedule is concerned. Notre Dame is eligible for the ACC championship. Uh, They can also take the ACC spot in the Orange Bowl. And there will be no division play in the ACC this upcoming season. I personally love that. I think that that will be a fantastic idea for the Big Ten. But before I get back to the Big Ten, let's also just keep in mind that we're now seeing that some of the ideas that are being thrown out there by some of the other conferences is... Pushing back the start of the season. Pac-12 and the SEC are each pushing back the start of their season. I think the ACC did too, but I don't have that confirmed off the top of my head. But the idea, I think, is that they want to allow these schools in these conferences to be able to bring back as many students as they're potentially going to be bringing back. And again, this varies from conference to conference, from school to school, from state to state. Every school is going to have a different situation to be working with. So I think pushing back the start of the season allows those schools to bring back whatever students are going to welcome back to their university, allow the football programs to continue moving forward and make sure they're all tested before the start of the season and make sure everybody is going to be clear and ready to go. And I think the big reason you do that is because you can essentially have your own bubble for your football program right now until other students not associated with football programs start coming back and then there's mingling between uh the football players and non-football players that is a big concern i think that a lot of schools are going to have for the upcoming season so i i think that that's probably the logic behind pushing back the start of the season i know there's been some question about whether or not you should push back the start of the season because if you have to adjust any part of your regular season wouldn't it make more sense to have a little bit more flexibility where you can have it and. By starting later in September, you're losing some of the potential flexibility. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if there's a perfect answer here. I've said this all along. I don't know if any conference has a perfect solution for an imperfect situation. And I think that every conference is doing whatever they feel is best for them. And that's really what their responsibility is. They need to look out for themselves first and foremost. And yes, there is some concern from the players point of view certainly we've seen some rumblings out of the sec we've seen the what's going on in the pac-12 with the players putting together a statement demanding a lot of uh, requirements from the conference itself and you know we said before players have a much louder voice now than they have probably ever had in the world of college athletics not just college football but college athletics as a whole now obviously football is going to take a spotlight but i do feel as though the voices right now that we're seeing are much more louder and much clearer than they've ever been before. We'll see if that leads to any potential changes and uh, decisions by these conferences moving forward. But there are some concerns, even with these plans that are being rolled out there by the conferences. Again, no perfect solutions here. It's a very unique situation. There's no right answer, I think, as far as what to do with the football season. We all know that the revenue is very important for these colleges and universities. And that's why you're going to see every attempt made to put some kind of football product on the field so you can show it on TV. Not necessarily open up the stands, uh, which continues to be another lingering issue, certainly at Penn State. But this is uh, something that is kind of expected or it's kind of understood that getting some kind of football revenue wherever you can is going to be very important for these universities because it is a big financial impact if they can't play football. Uh, and it's not just for the football program. Obviously, it's for a lot of the other athletic programs that are funded through football revenue. Uh, so we understand the, uh, the urgency to get some kind of football on the field so you can kind of keep the budget afloat as much as you possibly can. Now, going back to what the Big Ten doing, we still don't know what the Big Ten's plan is as of the time that we're recording this right now and putting this podcast out there. Uh, The Big Ten was the first power conference to announce that they were going to go to a shortened season with conference-only play. And here we are. The ACC has already rolled out their plan. The SEC has put together their ideas, and the Pac-12 has already put out their schedule. Uh, Big 12 is still kind of—we're waiting to find out more. We're probably going to find out more today on Monday. Uh, Maybe by the time you hear this podcast, we will know what the Big 12's plan is. But we still don't know the Big Ten, uh, what they're going to be doing for the upcoming season we don't know for sure that it's a 10 game conference schedule although that's probably the likely expectation given some of the precedent we've seen from some of these other conferences i think we can assume that the big 10 is very likely to go with a 10 game conference schedule uh, you know what does that mean for the current conference schedule are you going to stick with that as much as you can are you going to move some of those games around you're going to move some of those games up closer in the season or earlier in the season or are you going to, how are you going to add a 10th game because Big Ten plays a nine game conference schedule so who's going to be the tenth opponent for every school out there lots of things to figure out and that's why we continue to just sit here and wait to see what the big tens going to do I know there's been rumblings suggesting that maybe the big Ten's not even going to play this year I still think they're gonna play they're gonna make an attempt to play I should say I don't think uh, scratching the season is quite on the docket just yet I would not be surprised if it reaches that point at some point in time but I'm still going to remain a little bit optimistic that we are going to see Big Ten football played at the start of the fall. Whenever that may be, I think we're going to get some Big Ten football and some Penn State football. And there's still a lot of details that need to be figured out. So we sit here and wait. We'll continue to monitor the situation moving forward. And when we do know more, we will certainly discuss it right here on the podcast, Locked on Nittany Lines, because we're going to figure out exactly what this all means for Penn State moving forward. And, of course, what this means for the rest of the country. We'll see what the other conferences do. We're starting to see those details, but let's figure out what the Big Ten is going to do, and then we'll go from there. Now, over these last few months, you probably haven't been putting a tremendous amount of mileage on your car, and that's probably a good thing. But it's also a good idea just to go out there, start the car every now and then, maybe take it for a lap or two around the block just to make sure it is ready to go whenever you are. But if it's not, the good news is... In even in these times of economic turmoil, you are going to have a good resource for making sure you get all the parts you need at the best prices available. And that is through the folks at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. So they know a thing or two about helping customers through online sales. All you gotta do is go to the website, put in the make and model of your car, and it's going to bring you up a whole catalog of all the different parts that you may need for your vehicle car, truck, it doesn't matter. They're going to have the parts you need at the best prices available, whether you're a professional or a do-it-yourself, or, or if you're a complete novice like me and don't really know what you're looking for, they're going to help you out as best as they possibly can. And they're going to save you as much money as they possibly can as well. And we could all use that these times right now, right? So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and then write locked on in their, how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. I recently had the opportunity to sit down via Zoom and talk to Tim Brando of Fox Sports and Fox Sports 1. You can hear him calling college football and college basketball games for both networks. Does a lot of Big Ten coverage, does some Big East coverage, Big 12 coverage. He goes all over for Fox Sports, and he is certainly a veteran of the industry. He's been all over from CBS to ESPN, the early days of College Game Day, and of course now he's at Fox Sports. So I was very interested to hear some of the, his stories on his journey to getting to where he is today and i think it's fascinating i really appreciated his time and getting to hear some of his backstory i knew some of it from doing some of my own research and hearing him share some of the stories before but it was really cool to get a chance to hear him explain it to me one-on-one and as you're going to hear throughout the course of this interview over the next couple of episodes because this is going to be broken up it's a very lengthy interview but i want to share with you guys in a little bit more digestible format Uh, what you're going to hear is he certainly has a passion that I think is unrivaled for college sports in general. This man knows what he's talking about. He appreciates what he's watching. And he certainly has an eye for what's potentially going to be happening this upcoming season. Because we know that this is going to be a unique season. And that's certainly as far as true as the, um, the product that we're going to see on the field. But also how it's going to be covered. Because the broadcast is going to be a little bit different when you're watching college football this fall, no matter how many fans are in the stands or if there are no fans in the stands, how is that going to be covered? We're gonna get to that in a later portion of this interview, but the rest of this episode is going to feature the commentary and the discussion we had about Tim Brando's backstory with the sports industry and the sports media industry. So sit back, relax, I hope you enjoy it. I'll chime in a little bit later, but I want you to hear Tim Brando's story as far as becoming a sports announcer that you're watching today. Okay, so it is my extreme pleasure to welcome on a first-time guest on our podcast, Locked On Nittany Lions. He is Tim Brando, the national sports commentator for Fox Sports. I like to call him the optimist that we all need in college athletics. (laughs) Tim, I've been a fan of you for a very long time, and I do mean that when I say, when I think of all the people that are out there, You are the most optimistic person I think in the world of sports media as a whole.
1: All right, I got to ask you now, Kevin. Why why do you say that? Because I'm sometimes I'm sometimes pretty critical and cynical, and certainly opinionated. Not not so much when I'm doing games, and as you know, I, in addition to calling games, and I have for uh, I'm at the end of four decades. I'll start my fifth uh, in 2021. if if we get there. (laughs) But but I've I've also been a personality that had his own radio show and simulcasted television show that was opinion based. And so I've never been one to shy away from strong opinions on important matters. Um, So I think a lot of people would argue my being such an optimist all the time. (laughs) But why do you think I'm an optimist? Well, I'll say this. Yes,
0: you are not afraid to call it like you see it, and you will have right. your opinions. And I, I think that that's uh, very commendable, because you'll back it up, you'll have the conversations about it, and I think we need a lot more of that in sports media as a whole. Right. But the reason right. I call you one of the more optimistic people is maybe not so much. You're always looking at the uh, as all the best possible scenarios out there, but you do find the good stories, I think, in sports as a whole. And I think that right. no matter what sport you're talking about, you find the good stories, and it doesn't necessarily have to be with the biggest teams and the biggest stars. You like to look a little bit under the microscope a little bit and look at, for those positive stories. And that's one thing that I try to emulate as well. So that's mm-hmm. why I appreciate and respect everything that you've been doing. Well, that's
1: that's really nice of you to notice. And, and especially um, younger broadcasters uh, are very wise, I think, to do that, particularly if you want to have a long and enduring career. Uh, Longevity can become a real ally uh, in our profession. Um, I tell young people all the time that um, and I say this with great respect uh, the, there There are only so many jobs for the the Jim Nances, the Mike Tarikos, the joe bucks uh the gus johnsons the, the 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 signature voices uh of our of our generation or the Al Michaelses, if you will. Um uh, the facts are uh most of us are like working actors, you know we want to stay in business we want to continue to get <laughs> roles and have our our positions uh in broadcasting solidified for a period of time i have uh I've had a number of stops along the way, but each one of my stops has has been uh a propeller to a another opportunity that was even better uh, and I feel blessed to have said that, but I think one of the reasons for that is uh that hopefully i did find enough positive out there uh to report upon but did not shy away from the negative attacked the negative whenever i had to uh and said what i really thought to be true um endurance is a real catalyst for for those that are in our business if you view if you view it as a sprint you're going to get in trouble you'll flame out fast but if you view our business as a marathon uh with different chapters you know your career can last a long time and uh i i i really believe in that and i think that um when people say where did the passion for college sports come from that's really where it is i think there are more good stories uh human interest stories uh at the collegiate level than you'll ever find at the professional level particularly in the um uh, really cynical world we live in today, you know, uh, and I know that college athletics is certainly not pure and has its fair share of issues. And I am as big a critic of college football in the areas where I think I need to be as anyone I know. But uh, ultimately when I go out to these locations, I meet with these players and these coaches. I, I run into incredible stories at every turn and uh, try to pass them on. Uh, as best I can in the storytelling role that a play-by-play man can have. Not, not always do we get to go as in depth as we'd like, but still it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And um, I have found through the years that the college fan really appreciates that, uh, that you mentioned the kid's hometown or where he went to high school, uh, what he may be accomplished that was unique and set himself apart or herself apart uh, from the, the rest. So. Uh, I appreciate you noticing that.
0: Yeah, like I said, uh, I've been following you for a while now and, uh, you know, from watching uh, the simulcast of your radio show and just obviously watching you call co- co- uh, college football games today, college basketball games today, and of course following you on Twitter, uh, because you're never afraid to, you know, speak out about, like you said, you're not afraid to call things out negatively when they need to be addressed. And Brad, you know, I Brad. think it's, uh, you know, it's all about having that communication, just having those conversations and in, in hopes that we're going to be able to promote some changes for the positive good moving forward yeah. uh, for everything that's involved. I have so much to get into with you, but before we go and talk about some of the, the college football topics on the agenda today, I do want to get a little bit more into your background because, and you know how you got involved. You know, When was it that young Tim Brando decided, I want to be on the radio, I want to be on TV, I want to be calling the games that I've been a fan of? When did that kind of uh, ignite a fire within you?
1: Well, if you, if anytime you look back at, uh, you know, my biography, it's, uh, it's there for everyone to see. I, I grew up the son of a, of a song and dance man that also happened to be a sports writer and broadcaster uh, and broadcasting pioneer in my hometown uh, of Brando. And he had three live television shows on the air uh, in the early sixties when I was growing up. And um, he had been a sports writer on his journey before he got there after World War II. And he had also done radio, had been a disc jockey uh, before I was born. But he was already an established television personality in my hometown. So, you know, I, I knew I was going to be in front of a camera. And I knew I was going to be doing something in the public eye. My dad had me on his bandstand with his show band that traveled around the SAC air bases throughout the country when I was five, six, seven years old. So I was in front of people entertaining them as a child. Uh, You know, had his band continued, had we been maybe living someplace other than Shreveport, Louisiana, hell, I could have been, um, you know, the poor man's Donny Osmond. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You never know. Maybe in an alternate universe. I mean, I was certainly put in a position uh, to follow entertainment as opposed to sports broadcasting. But sports broadcasting was, was really something that I was enamored by watching television. You know, we were the TV generation. Uh, if you were born uh, in the mid fifties, a baby boomer, if you will, uh, you, we were the first generation that didn't know what life was like without TV. Uh, so just as the internet and social media is the thing of this generation, just a television set was a big deal in, in, in my years growing up. I mean, not, when I was 6 years old, my dad had three TV shows. Not everybody on my street had a TV. You know, um and if they got a color TV in 1963 or 4, then you were the first to have that. That was like, you know, parking a Mercedes in your driveway. You know, it had the same kind of influence and impact in your in your neighborhood. So, um it was it was an incredible time to grow up and uh I was Like a lot of young kids, watching his his father, sort of a bigger-than-life personality, wake up in the morning, shave, get himself ready to do his television show, Uh, I was watching him uh, and thinking of emulating him in some way. But I also, like a lot of kids, love sports. And I was thrilled to watch those games live on television and the announcers calling those games. Whether it was Kurt Gowdy, who was my hero and later a mentor, or Keith Jackson Hogan, or college football, um, those guys just brought me to the television set and I, I genuflected in front of it like I was at church. Uh, it was like a holy day of obligation listening to those games <laughs> and those guys. And um, I wanted to be, I really did want to be like them. And I told my dad uh, when I was eight or nine years old because I was singing, I was playing the drums. Uh, and I was hearing some chirps from people saying, Tim, you could be this, or you could be that as a singer. And I was like, no, I, I, I want to do games. I I didn't want to be exactly like my father. My father was a jack of all trades. He wrote, produced, directed, and was the talent, sang, uh, all the big songs and played the trombone with the band. And they called them floor show bands back in those days. And. And uh, I was a member of the Musicians Local 116 as a nine-year-old in 1965. I was the youngest member ever of the Musicians Union in uh, Northwest Louisiana. And I had to be a member to play in these uh, nightclubs where they were serving alcohol. I, if <laughs> I weren't part of the show. I couldn't get in. So I had to be a, a union member, which meant I got paid scale. <laughs> so I got a little bit of a check uh, being part of Hub Brando and the Dreamers. So, so you're so, living large at nine years old, right? I was living large, <laughs> singing Me and My Shadow, and too, you're too old to cut the mustard anymore with my dad. But, uh, but, I, but I knew that I wanted to take a different route. I told my dad that. And uh, as much as I loved him uh, and loved what he did, uh, I wanted to be uh, like those big-time announcers, Jack Buck. Keith Jackson, Chris Schenkel, uh, Jim Simpson, Charlie Jones, uh, Don Crickey, uh, so many of the great, Lindsey Nelson, um, so many great ones from that generation that had made the move, Ray Scott, that made the move from radio to television. Uh, in their, really in the primes of their careers, they had to move from radio to TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all had big voices, memorable voices. And uh, because I was a singer and because I was very much into voice, uh, I never had any voice training, but was blessed with a good voice. I um, I knew how to use the voice as an instrument. And dad began working with me on it. Uh, being raised in the South, I had, uh, like any other kid, um, a willingness to speak with a Southern drawl that he, he worked on and uh, corrected me on. It was like having a professor in my house correcting me all the time Uh, because he would say son you can sound like this in in Louisiana and you're fine but you want to be like Kurt Gowdy you can't sound like this you've got to you've got to work on your diction your your phonics and so it was it was important to me and uh, by the time I was in my teens uh, the band had broken up my mother and father had separated uh, he had gotten uh, into the uh, entertainment business, moved to California, was doing some screenplay writing, but also invested in some hotels, uh, and and one was in Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, he wanted to come back and be close to me. Uh, he had been estranged from me probably since I was 11, and so he 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 bought into this hotel in Monroe, uh, and moved back to manage it uh, for a period of time, and a local guy in Monroe knew that my dad was there and they had just lost their announcer for the high school football team that was the big team in Monroe, Neville High School. It was a juggernaut, big time Friday Night Lights kind of team. And uh, they needed a new announcer and the owner of the radio station in town that carried the games knew my father was there, came to visit with him and offer him the opportunity to broadcast the games because he knew my dad had been a sports writer and knew sports. Plus he had been on TV for many, many years. And he's, my dad said, well, I'd, I'd be happy to do that, but you have to let me pick the guy that's going to work with me. Uh, and he said, sure, huh, whatever you want to do. Well, he had no idea it was going to be his 14 year old son. <laughs> uh, and I was in junior high at the time I was a ninth grader. Uh, in those days you went to high school in the 10th grade and you were in middle junior high was, was seven, eight, nine, not six, seven, eight middle school would be today. But, Anyway, I would get out of school on Fridays. He came, talked to my principal, and my principal allowed this to happen, allowed me to get out of school at noon on Fridays. Uh, My mom would pick me up, take me to the Continental Trailways bus station. I would take the bus from Shreveport to Monroe, about a 100-mile drive. He would pick me up, and then we would go to the school. I would interview the coach for the pregame, and he and I were a father and son play-by-play team uh, in the fall of 1971. So, September 1971 was the year I started broadcasting football on the air. I was 14 years old. Uh, that will be 50 years in a year. One wow. year from one year from September the 4th, 1971. So, so, next next September, not this September 4th, but next will be my 50th year calling football. In that's awesome. So that's kind of a cool thing when you think about it. That's that's
0: really cool. Going from calling high school football games at the big high school at fourteen yeah. years old to stops all over the industry, ESPN, yeah. CBS, and you know, obviously at Fox. You have seen it all. I'm guessing. Is there anything that really stands out to you? Like, what was it? What was the um? You know, aside from calling games at fourteen years old, what do you feel like was your breakthrough moment where you realized you finally arrived in this industry? And well, you're one of those voices that
1: people are watching you know you know Kevin there's so there really a lot uh and I'm um I've just begun uh, during the pandemic with the extra time that I've had on my hands I've um I've begun writing a book and I and when I say writing I mean outlining uh putting the outline together and digging up a lot of old stories and trying to find um, and I do I'm a, thank god I'm a hoarder you know I hoard stuff <laughs> And so there are examples. I've got old cassette tapes of my, my dad and, and me on the air, and um, even some old videotapes of us doing commercials together when I was just a kid, you know, 17, 18 years old. Um, he died uh, right as I was getting my breakthrough uh, in 1984. I was doing games for Raycom and Jefferson Pilot and Ms. Lou, and a few of those games had been picked up by ESPN and USA cable in their early days of doing broadcasting and he was able to see me out on the west coast he he died of colon cancer in july of 84 um and uh but but i was uh i was on the precipice of great success he knew it made me feel good that he knew it uh and then in 85 uh i I got the job uh the, the, the phone call to do a game with vital at espn uh, January 5th, 1985. I'll never forget that. It was basically, it was an on-air audition. Mm -hmm. I was replacing the great Jim Simpson and they had had my tape for over two years and had never called me. Uh, I had gotten my real breakthrough uh, launching pad for my success had been in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, just down the road. I married in uh, 1978, moved to, uh, moved to Baton Rouge. I needed to be in a college town, you know, to be where the action was. And I couldn't get a job as anything other than a disc jockey at the time. But I was able to talk the owner, general manager of the station into allowing me to do the first ever hour-long sports talk show uh, at six o'clock when the power, when the sun went down, and the power went down to just a thousand watts. I said, I, I told Mr. Earl, Bob Earl was his name. I said, if you allow me, I'll sell the hour. And if you'll just let me do this hour long sports show every night. Um, and then let me do some high school football for you uh, on Friday nights. Uh, and he says, well, kid, can you sell it? And I'm like, yeah, I can sell <laughs> it. No problem. Uh, so I, I, I just took the initiative and did it. Uh, in addition to doing my air shift in the afternoons. So I'm uh, 23 years old at this point. It's 1979. And I'm carving my own niche in Baton Rouge and became relevant in the LSU community. All the coaches were coming and they had never had an outlet. They had never had a place to, to come on the air and, and be interviewed about their teams. You know, I'm talking about non-revenue producing sports, you know, gymnastics, volleyball, wrestling, you name it. I would, I would give them, you know, 30 minutes every, every night. And then I would take phone calls. Um, But I also got close to the head football coaches. Charlie McClendon, Dale Brown, later Jerry Stovall, Bill Arnsbarger. And before long, um, with stops in New Orleans and radio and then back to television in Baton Rouge, LSU began something called Tiger Vision, which was an all-LSU channel uh, that they began in 1982. And as a young broadcaster, 26 years old, um, that was wonderful tape for me to have calling basketball and football for, you know, games that may not have been the biggest, but in those days, ESPN was not carrying live college football. It was still ABC on Saturday. And if you weren't on ABC, you weren't on TV. Right. Uh, So it wasn't until 1984 when the Supreme court uh, lawsuit brought by the universities of Georgia and Oklahoma uh, were taken to the Supreme court and they ruled three to two in favor of the universities. Only then did television rights leave the NCAA and go to the universities. Right. And uh, so I was able to do these games on pay-per-view of uh, basketball uh, and, f- and football that were just unique and, and uh, at a wonderful time, the calendar was perfect for me, just perfect. And uh, so I had these tapes to send out and by 1984, early 85, they were out. And I started getting the calls and um, that call from Ellen Beckwith at ESPN. I'll always remember happened the last week of December. And she was like, are you free January 5th? And I'm like, well, let me check my schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did have an LSU Mississippi state game scheduled for that, that moment. But uh, I, I knew that coach Brown and Bob Broadhead, the athletic director would be really happy for me. So I accepted verbally the opportunity, called them and, pleaded with them, please let me, and they were like, oh, well, we're so excited, we're so happy for you, Tim, we'll get a replacement, no, no worries, and uh, I did the game with Vital. went really well, and, uh, you know, I think he was, he was already established at that point, he'd been there since the inception, so he'd been doing basketball for them for six years, and uh, having Dick like my work and the chemistry between us be good meant that the phone was going to ring again. And pretty soon they were asking me to do uh, USFL football, uh, boxing with Al Bernstein, PKA karate. uh, uh, Can you do volleyball? Uh, (laughs) We have the US versus the Soviets in Sacramento. Can you do that? Oh, yeah. I I said yes to everything. (laughs) uh, Whatever the announcers that were there didn't want to do, I would be raising my hand. I'll do it. And uh, that's how I really got my start. And you know, those moments were wonderful. And uh, when I went to Connecticut, I um, started doing Sports Center with John Saunders in 87, and we began this little thing called College Game Day mm-hmm. that we did not know would be what it is today, obviously. Yeah. And uh, while it was not uh, thought of in the same light when Bino Cook and Lee Corso and I debuted it, we certainly took great pride in it. And we knew we were doing something that had never been done uh, there had never been a national pregame show on any network that lasted an hour. And we, we previously in 86, I was on the sidelines and they only did 30 minutes. Right. We were going to do a full hour and uh, Beano Cook was hired. Lee Corso uh, debuted and did his audition tape with me and he was hired. And we had a female reporter, Carrie Ross, that was also hired. So, you know, to me, it was, I was like the poor man's Brent Musburger. I was getting to do, you know, the college version of the NFL today. I mean, that's right. the way I viewed it. And um, But I still wanted to be at the game sites. I wanted to call play-by-play. Never, I don't think I ever really valued uh, any of the studio work I did at ESPN because I was always looking to get to the booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'd say if I had one regret, uh, it would be that I didn't appreciate some of the great things that happened to me because I was always thinking about the next thing. It was always the next thing with me at that time. So if you're in this business and you're in your twenties, just value what you have. It's okay to think ahead, have a plan, but, but always value what you have. I think that's really important. Uh, But like everybody at that time, uh, uh, Kevin, we all in those days ESPN was not the 12th thousand pound gorilla. It was, it was a triple A farm club to the big networks. Uh, right. The big three were CBS, NBC, and ABC. Fox didn't even exist. Fox was ten years from existing at that point, and uh, so we all wanted to be at the quote you know Tiffany networks. And uh, uh, I moved home uh, because I wanted to do games, and I want my wife wanted to leave Connecticut. I got a second contract. I moved home, uh, did games in 1989, the fall of 89 with Vince Dooley and uh, Bob Carpenter replaced me on game day for one year. Uh, The following year, Vince Dooley became the athletic director at Georgia. So he needed to get out and they asked me to come back and help because they were going to turn ESPN was going to turn game day over to Chris Fowler to be the game day host. And they needed somebody else to come in to do halftimes and between games because what they were going to do with game day, game day was going to take a lot of his time and preparation. So uh, I would come up and we, we operated. Uh, uh, I took the, the half times in between games and uh, he did game day. Um, and I was really searching for something bigger and better because I wasn't happy doing that. Uh, and um, the opportunity came in 94 with the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Braves, Turner, uh, and sports South. And uh, from that, uh, through the Olympic year in 1996, uh, I was just dying to get to, I'd been a part of the NCAA tournament at ESPN. Uh, in those years, we had the early rounds of the NCAAs were on ESPN in 1987 and 88, and 89 and 90 CBS only took full control after the 90 season. And I was really you know, desperate to, to get a gig at CBS. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. And by 96, that opportunity came. And when it did, uh, I had to take advantage of it. So I left uh, Turner. I had done the NBA playoffs and inside the NBA, even that show too uh, for them. Uh, And then I went to CBS and that became quote the the moment where you say, okay, you're 40 years old. Uh, This is that moment. You know, I, I'm walking down the halls that Walter Cronkite walked. Yeah. You know, I'm walking down the halls that Brent Musburger, Phyllis George, Herb Cross, and Jimmy the Greek walked. Those are hallowed uh, halls working. right there. Those are hallowed halls, you know, <laughs> and uh, from seeing pictures of Douglas Edwards on one side and Captain Kangaroo on the other <laughs> the broadcast center, uh, it was the thrill, you know, and um, I'm 40 years old at that point. So Uh, making it to ESPN before I was 30, making it to CBS by the time I was 40 uh, were benchmarks. You know, they were things that I could be, uh, I could look and say, all right, these were things that you said you were going to do. You did them. And uh, that was a run as it turned out from 96 to 2013. That's quite a run. And uh, I left abruptly. um, And my, my radio show slash, tv show was was part of the reason for that um and didn't i never thought about uh leaving cbs at all until it happened it just happened yeah and then it was like uh-oh okay you're 58 now what you know uh you got to cbs at 40 now you're 58 now what and uh the now what thankfully uh, I was blessed again and and uh fox was looking to enhance its college football uh and, and they were they were getting more rights to more games, Big Twelve, Pac twelve, and they were telling me at the time they were hiring me, they were going hard after the Big Ten. But that was something that they were going to really try to be a part of. And uh, would you be? Uh, would you? And I was like, Are you kidding me? Absolutely. <laughs> so, so really, in a lot of ways, uh, three big moments in my career: um, the launching of uh, of uh, the opportunity I had at ESPN in in 1985 with Dick uh, Vitale to do that game. It it began – it started my quest towards Bristol. It really did. Uh, uh, It it led to game day. It led to uh, my career getting all these games, all these different sports that I got to cover as a kid in his 20s. Um, And then the opportunity to do the NBA and and Major League Baseball, you know, to, to be a part of a World Series winning team with Ernie Johnson, Sr., Ernie Jr.'s dad and I worked together. I mean, I was just a thrill. Uh, the CBS opportunity was huge. Uh, and when the call came for me to do the NCAA tournament in 1996 and to take that and turn it into uh, a college football gig and taking over for Jim Nance when they got the NFL back, that's, that's how I got in the studio was, Uh, CBS had lost the NFL to Fox and uh, Jim was having to do the studio show for college football. And when they got the NFL back, Jim had to do do that. So that created an opening and they moved me in to be the host of college football. So that was thrilling and wonderful. And 16 of my 18 years, I did that. Uh, But then at 58, you know, you think about it, one break happens when you're, You know, about 29, another break happens when you're about 40. And now it's like, okay, father time may be catching up to you. Not everybody at 58 is is someone that people really are interested in hiring. You know, it's not necessarily a a young man's job uh, in in our business now. So uh, I think I'm probably most enthused and excited about where I am today than any of those places along the journey because uh, all of those other stops included a lot of studio work. I happen to be good at it, but I never really wanted to be doing that. I wanted to be calling games, just games all the time. And uh, that's what I'm doing now at Fox. Uh, and when they have needed my help with either some golf early or with some NFL early in the last few years, I've done an NFL game. Uh, at least one late in the season for them when they had a lot of regionals and our college season was over. Um, Whenever they needed me to do something outside of college football and college basketball, I've done it, and it's been great. But being sort of a go-to guy for them uh, on both college football and college basketball is exactly where I wanted to be, doing the two sports that I love the most and getting to do it at a very high level. Uh, At a time in my life when I really appreciate it, you know, when you get older, it's not about what's next. It's about what I'm doing. Right. Uh, And uh, how much longer can I get to do this? Because it's such a privilege to to be able to do it. And uh, it keeps me young. It keeps me enthused. I'm working with younger people. Um, And I think that's one of the things that um, they valued in me when they hired me was they thought, Here's a guy that's been around the block. Uh, we can put some younger people with him, whether they're producers, directors, broadcast associates, or, or uh, other analysts. And they can um, maybe pick up on some, uh, some wisdom, if you will, from the old guy that's been around for a while. So uh, that's the role I have at Fox, and it's one that I, uh, I really covet and, uh, and one that I'm truly enjoying more than any other I've ever had at any time in my career.
0: But just remember that age is just a number. There's nothing more than you need to know about that. And and
1: hair can be colored. I'm proof of that.
0: Okay, I'll give you that one. (laughs) We are just getting started with our interview with Tim Brando, if you can believe it or not. This episode has already gone longer than we typically do, but we have a lot more ground to cover with Tim Brando. So come back, make sure you're subscribed, and then check out the next podcast as we continue our conversation with Tim Brando going to continue talking a little bit more about his background getting into the business and of course we're going to get his take on the state of the industry of sports media and eventually we'll talk about what's going to be some of the challenges that he is going to face for the upcoming season calling games and yes we'll also throw in some comments and thoughts about what Tim Brando thinks about Penn State for the upcoming season as the interview continues again don't know if it's going to be two parts or three parts so you'll just have to come back and stay tuned to find out some more. My name is Kevin McGuire. Thank you so much for listening to this edition and this episode of the Locked On Nittany Alliance podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on all of your favorite podcasting apps. Leave a rating, leave a review. Whatever you're using to listen to the podcast today, make sure you are subscribed. Leave a rating and leave that review. Helps us know where you're listening to us and it'll help grow the show on those various podcasting apps across the the podcasting sphere and of course you can also stay connected with us on instagram twitter and facebook and on twitch by using the username locked on Again, I am Kevin McGuire. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Kevin on Check out some of my coverage I have for Penn State and the Big Ten over on AthlonSports.com. And before I let you go, I want to make sure you are checking out the latest edition of the Locked On Big Ten podcast and all the other great podcasts. Now that sports are back, the Locked On Podcast Network is firing on all cylinders, covering the NBA, covering the NHL. Major League Baseball has been ongoing, unless you're a Phillies fan, and there is so much ground to cover across the sporting landscape right now. So make sure you check out all the podcasts for your favorite teams, no matter where they may be. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'll talk to you again very soon. Have a great day, guys. Go want to know. We'll talk to you again.